Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I'm sitting in the media room at the NWTF convention right now. You might hear some turkey calling and or Michael Waddell talking in the background because I'm watching the Grand Nationals live on my phone as I'm sitting here getting some work done. So I like to go to it every year and I'm not going to be able to make it upstairs. They're, they're calling just right above me right now, but I can't I can't get up there. That's okay. I can watch it live. But uh, Man, it's been a crazy few days here at the convention. We've been getting a lot of stuff done, interviewed a lot of world-class turkey hunters, a lot of names that you're going to recognize. We're going to have some awesome, awesome episodes coming out over these next few weeks. And this week, we got a good one for y'all. We have got a guy who we have been trying to get on the podcast for probably a few weeks now, uh, and that is Jonathan Bone of Catman Outdoors. Uh, you probably already know who Catman is. You probably subscribed to him on YouTube. If you don't, you've probably seen one of his videos and just didn't know it was him. But he is a very interesting guy, and he's a true outdoorsman, a true woodsman. And we kind of dig deep into kind of his lifestyle, what got him into filming, how he films and all that, what he hunts, what he fishes for. I think we talk about everything from deer to turkey to trout to flathead catfish, just to all all kinds of interesting stuff. So... You guys aren't going to want to miss this one. It was a fantastic time recording with Jonathan. And make sure you go check out his stuff on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. It's uh, Catman Outdoors if you're unfamiliar with it. So y'all make sure you go check that out. We appreciate you guys for listening and uh, enjoy this episode. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I'm here with the with the ginger. He's still not the ginger bow hunter because he had to be bow hunting. Lunch. Jacob, how are you doing? Yep doing excellent and also we have on the uh on this call with us old jonathan bone the cat man himself the man the myth the legend so jonathan how you doing dude pretty good how about yourself <laughs> oh man we're doing awesome doing great super excited to have you on man you know we've been trying to do this for quite a while so it's uh it's finally good to see the stars align and us to have some time together uh so i think it's gonna be a heck of a uh, a heck of a podcast uh, so our listeners that maybe they don't know much about you right now, hopefully by the end of it, they're going to know a lot about you and check out your YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah, most now, of them have probably already checked out his YouTube channel, but that's beside yeah. the fact. Good, good point. Yeah, so uh, guys, if y'all don't know anything about Jonathan, I'll get a little, little intro for you, Jonathan, and then let you kind of take it from there. But uh, Jonathan uh, is a, first of all, one heck of a woodsman. One heck of a woodsman. So... Another thing, Jonathan, I really noticed about hunting with you this fall, dude, is how much you pay attention to every situation you're in, especially when you're walking through the woods. You know, you're looking at stuff that the average guy is not looking for, especially like browse pressure and everything else, man. And that really impressed me that first time we went scouting together. Um, but without me rambling on too much, man, kind of give us your introduction for yourself. You know, tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit about Catman Outdoors. Well, uh I don't know where to start, really, but I guess I guess I'll say I I don't have any family that hunts. Now, 
my dad grew up fishing and stuff with his buddies and camping and all that, but I kind of got it got into it all myself. And I grew up in the suburbs, so now we we lived in the back of the subdivision, so we saw deer and turkeys and stuff, you know, behind the house. So I guess that kind of helped put the idea in my head. But I started fishing when I was 11 years old, and I always kind of never really thought I'd get into hunting, but when I would go buy tackle at Walmart or whatever, I would see the hunting stuff and always had that little idea in the back of my head, maybe someday I'll get into hunting. And it wasn't until I was about 17 that the bug really got me. But so I guess my background is I I grew up in the suburbs, not around hunting much. I got into it all myself. And a lot of people don't know this, but I was homeschooled all the way through high school. Uh, I did take a few classes at a couple different schools, but for the most part, I was raised up at home. So I had a lot of free time to get out and do my thing and go fishing and learn stuff and whatnot. That's pretty yeah, interesting. That's I didn't. I wouldn't expect you to be one that didn't get into hunting till like an earlier age. So, what was it that you were hunting that got you into it? Like, was it squirrels or turkey or deer or all of the above? Well, do you want the story or the abridged version? Or I guess it's oh, all. Yeah, we want it all. Well, so it started. I'll try to keep it short, but. I know exactly what day it started when the bug got in my head. It was Thanksgiving Day of 2009. Uh, it wasn't unusual to see turkeys in the backyard. Every now and again, a little flock would come through. So it wasn't the first time, but this one day in particular, Thanksgiving Day, just by coincidence, a whole bunch of hens come through the backyard. And I run out there, chase them around, and they fly off, of course, because, I, I mean, I was just acting like a fool just running after them. And I started thinking, well, how can I trap or or shoot or whatever? I was thinking of trapping because I just wanted to catch one to, you know, cook up. I, I wanted to try wild turkey meat. And so I started thinking about, like, ways to do that. Well, that led to some research and learning a little bit about turkey hunting. And then that led to learning about rules and regulations and everything. And it was just kind of like a domino effect after that. I just really started getting into it just reading up on it, watching videos online and reading articles and whatnot. And and uh, that kind of led into the following year when I got into some shed hunting and and uh, got a friend of mine to take me turkey hunting for the first time in 2010. And we had birds all around us that morning. He called up a gobbler, but he saw the strutter decoy and kind of shied away from it, but that was pretty cool. And uh, I, like I said, I was doing a lot of online research so i learned how to make a tube call just because you look up turkey calls online you're going to find at some point you're going to find a where somebody tells you how to make a tube call out of a plastic pill bottle or something like that so i did that and i ended up about a year later after i started hunting public land i ended up killing my first turkey uh called him in with a homemade tube call that's a that's pretty impressive and it didn't sound that great, but it, I mean, it doesn't take much to make a turkey sound, so it worked. It was a, I got a hen angry at me, and two jakes followed her in, and I shot that bird at six yards, so. Hmm. That'll get I was, you hooked. I was green, greener than grass starting out, but uh, I just, <laughs> you know, when you're, in, when you're really into something, you can soak it up, soak up information like a sponge and go after it, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, for sure, and that's one thing that, 
you know, it's kind of impressive, uh, you know, this recent, I mean, this right now, since I found that out, you know, you definitely, you know, how much you know about woods and everything else when it comes to woodsmanship, that's impressive that a lot of this was probably self-taught or research you did by yourself. Uh, so, I mean, did you ever at any point had a, you know, quote unquote mentor or anyone that kind of helped get you into hunting or again, was it pretty much all self-drive and all self, um, you know, resources and research that kind of, you know, learn what you've learned so far up until this point? Well, I'm pretty much all self-taught, like nobody helped get me into it, but I did join a, uh, deer hunting forum, Tennessee deer hunting forum called tndeer.com just a just a talk forum for Tennessee deer hunters and I met some good people on there I've still got friends to this day from there that are good friends of mine and I had people who were nice enough I had one guy who let me take my first shotgun after I bought my first shotgun in 2011 he let me take it out to this property he's got and shoot the target just to get it patterned in because I lived in the suburbs and couldn't shoot it so I've had people along the way help me out with a lot of little things, a lot of people I met on that website. And uh, I guess I've met a few people here and there through YouTube as well, but um, that just kind of started as a hobby, like a side hobby at the same time. But, uh, yeah, so I've definitely had people help me out and, you know, like with equipment, like I've got, like I've got my first couple of bows for pretty cheap off of this older guy that had uh, had some bows that he didn't use anymore. I got a good deal on them, so I guess I, I met some good people that helped me out along the way, but I never actually really had a mentor in the woods. I've always been kind of a do-it-yourself kind of guy and go out there and try to learn it myself. Now, you know, with you kind of getting in, you know, by just your thoughts to, you know, just getting to get into hunting, what was the hardest part for you starting out that kind of, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's something that held you back a little bit when you got started, but what was like the biggest learning curve for you just in hunting in general, whether you're turkey hunting or deer hunting or whatever, you know, what was the biggest uh, learning curve for you up front? Honestly, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Cause I mean, I'm still learning things to this day. There's always something to learn and I'm, I've still got a lot to learn. So I don't, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. I'd have to think about it. Yeah, well, I probably didn't word it correctly. You know, when you got started, what was like the biggest, I don't know if there was a fear factor, but was there anything when you first got started, you know, that first year or two when you were hunting that was maybe either overwhelming, whether it was to like, hey, I don't, I don't have any place to hunt, and then you went to public land, or just knowing what kind of gear you needed, or just how to call? I mean, was there anything like that that kind of, you know, maybe was intimidating at first as a new hunter? Um... Maybe picking the spot, picking the right spot to hunt, I guess, if I had to come up with something, it would be figuring out where to hunt on a given day. As far as equipment and stuff like that, I've always kept it minimal and on the cheaper side because I was working part-time. I wasn't making much money when I first started at all. And so, I mean, I wasn't trying to get the latest and greatest. I knew you didn't have to have the latest and greatest gear. I mean, I figured that part out, but... I think the toughest, maybe the toughest part was, and it's still a problem today, is getting into sizes and not being sure exactly where to set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a huge part. I mean, for really any hunter until you really get down, you know, what you're really looking for. Now, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people are interested in when it comes to you is, you know, Catman Outdoors. You know, that's how a lot of people know you. 
is from your YouTube channel, Catman Outdoors. Uh, you know, when did that all start? You know, what what started Catman Outdoors, and where did the name come from? That's a good question. Uh, Catman was just a username I made when I was twelve, and it just carried over. It stuck, you know. I I got into fishing, like I said, when I was eleven, and I got onto this catfishing forum online, and and I got it because I learned how to catch channel catfish in the creek. So I thought I was all big into catfishing. So I joined this forum, and Catman was a pretty popular name on a catfishing forum. So I had to add my birth date on the end, Catman five two nine, and so that just stuck ever since then. So when I made my YouTube channel, I just figured it would be Catman Outdoors because that's the name I stuck with, and I created it before I ever went hunting. Actually, I made my channel. It'll be It'll be nine years in a little over a month that since I started my channel, and I had not been deer or turkey hunting when I started it. I had only been shed hunting and a little bit of squirrel. Dang, that, that's interesting, man. Um, so what kind of inspired you to start the YouTube channel? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I guess just... I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that answer. I can actually, I can kind of figure it out because I always used to carry a point and shoot digital camera around my neck in a case, like everywhere I went. I would, I, I rode my bike before I bought a vehicle, and when I was younger, I would just ride my bike everywhere and fish, or just ride for the heck, uh, just for the heck of riding. And I always had a camera with me to take pictures of everything, so I guess the filming and the photography just kind of carried over where I started a YouTube channel just so I could post videos if I got anything interesting. No, that's kind of fascinating. Now, when you got started, when it came to filming and really, you know, photography as well, you know, what was the camera of your choice when you first got started? Uh, you know, was it something that you just try and get in, you know, the cheapest camera possible, or did, I mean, did you look at any kind of specs? You know, what what kind of camera did you go with at first? At the time, I believe I still had my Nikon point and shoot. I think it's called a Coolpix. It, but they had several different models, so I couldn't tell you which model it was. It was just a basic silver point-and-shoot camera that fit in your pocket, but I kept it in a little case uh, just to keep pocket dust from getting into the lens. And it was not like not a good camera by any means, but at the time it was all right. It took good still pictures. The video was terrible. Then I upgraded. I, I say upgraded, but it wasn't much different to another point-and-shoot after that, which was a Panasonic. I don't remember the name of it, but it was a little sleek black looking point and shoot that took 720 video, so it wasn't even full HD. The audio quality was terrible, but it took decent still pictures. And then wasn't till I had my channel running for at least two or three years that I decided to get into a actual camcorder that had better uh, better zoom and better sound quality, and it just kind of became a, an expensive hobby after that, where every camera gets more expensive. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, uh, I jumped into it, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about cameras and everything else. And, you know, you're saying like some guys, you know, some guys are looking to get into like a pretty expensive camera right off the bat. And you're like, you know, that might not be the smartest choice for some people just because they don't know, you know, if it's something they really want to, you know, continue to do uh, once they get started. Yeah. You and, may be stuck with, with selling, trying to sell all this expensive equipment you bought because you realize it's not what you thought you were getting into because it's i mean it's not for everybody it's definitely worth trying out but i wouldn't dump a bunch of money into it up front because it's a kind of a commitment and you want to give it a, you want to test the waters before you dive in and get a bunch of expensive equipment 
Yeah, yeah camera, exactly. Camera gear can get expensive real fast. And you don't have yeah. to have really expensive equipment to get decent video. I think I think having a good zoom is pretty important, and if you're hunting, low light capability is important, and mm-hmm. audio is very important to me personally because my, my videos are all about putting the viewer in the woods, and if you're not getting that clear sound of, of nature and the, the songbirds and tree, creeks trickling and all that, all those just little sounds in the woods, man, it just doesn't do it for me. So I will spend a little more on a good microphone. But it's really whatever. It, I mean, everyone's got their own goals on what they want to do as far as filming. Some people just want an action camera to stick on their gun barrel or whatever. That's fine. It's a, Everyone's got their own ideas of how they want to do it. Yeah, when you got started, you know, self-filming and kind of started taking it more and more seriously uh, as you went on, what was the driving motive for you to film? I mean, were you doing it just for the, you liked, you enjoyed it? Uh, did you like showing people, you know, some of the stuff that you saw and were experiencing in the woods? I mean, what really was the driving motive behind, you know, just filming for you? Um, I would say it's roughly 50-50 between getting good content for the channel and just, the satisfaction of filming my own hunts that I can go back later and and watch them over and over again. Because mm-hmm. I like to go back and watch. I mean, I don't watch all my videos like crazy, but I'll go back and and watch some of my favorite hunts every mm-hmm. now and again because I like to relive those those good times in the woods where I may have learned something or I may have to go back and just be reminded of something. You know, like I forgot I I did that certain thing that one way and. I'll go back and watch it and be like, wow, I forgot about that, that little detail, and it's just cool to go back and watch. And that and self-filming is really rewarding. If you can pull off a good shot and get it on video and everything works out great, it's like, it's it's very, it's very rewarding in the end. Yeah, no, I mean, that's very true. You know, this is our first, well, I want to say this is, you know, continuing to our being our first year of, taking filming more seriously uh we did a little bit last year really a year and a half ago uh mostly during turkey season but this fall was our first time to really do it on more of a serious manner and i really enjoyed it uh you know i've heard of a lot of guys you know complain about the extra weight and that is a big factor that's one reason why we went to tree saddles um instead of tree stands is because we save more weight the weight the extra bulk and weight is the, my least favorite thing next to obviously the cost of camera equipment mm-hmm. i don't like carrying weight i don't even carry binoculars i probably will soon just because mm-hmm. i'm starting to really feel like i could use them but i try to pack as light as possible during turkey season i don't even wear a vest if it doesn't fit in my pockets or in my hands then i don't bring it i usually walk around with my shotgun either in my hand or swung on my shoulder and i carry my tripod with the camera in my other hand and that's it i got my wingbone call around my neck and my backup calls in my pocket just a bare minimum i don't like to carry a lot of weight or bulk that's also part of the reason i got into saddle hunting because everything fits in a backpack versus a big loud clanking stand so yeah definitely that's as far as filming goes that's one thing i don't like about it is carrying that extra equipment I wouldn't even carry a backpack deer hunting if I didn't have to carry my tree arm and my camera and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. I was laughing the other day because we've like cut so much weight with like our climbing system and our saddles and everything, but I'm still carrying yeah. in like this heavy back, this heavy ginormous backpack because I got a camera arm that's and part a of camera it. and all that stuff in there. Yep, that's part of it. 
and my saddle system now, well, the way I've got it set up is still, I mean, it's no heavier than a climbing setup, climbing stand set up without filming gear. So with filming gear, my saddle is still lighter than than if I was carrying like a summit. If oh I yeah, no. Filming, you know. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 right, and that's one thing I've noticed too. Because when we got into self filming, uh, or what should I say, when I got into self filming more seriously, about all my gear back in August, uh, you know, that added over 10 pounds of extra gear I was carrying in the woods. And at the time, I was using a Lone Wolf uh, Alpha Lock on Tree standing sticks. And that package right there weighs roughly 24 pounds, actually a little bit heavier because that's without counting the straps. Um, and then, of course, bag and everything else. I mean, I was. Before then, before, you know, carrying camera gear, I was always around 30, 35 pounds with gear and bow, everything else I'm carrying in the woods. Um, with camera gear, I was getting close to 40 pounds, and I did that on the velvet hunt, and that was it. After that, I did not hunt out of a tree stand the rest mm. of the year because I hunted off the ground for, like, the first month and a half of the season and uh, killed a couple of deer doing that. But that was huge for I me, dude. I love hunting off the ground. I will say, so when, when gun season opens, and I've got a rifle in my hands. I do a lot more hunting off the ground with a rifle than I do with a bow. But then going down to Alabama with the hunting public guys, I got back kind of into more ground hunting, even with the bow, because we're in a bow-only area. And I hunted out of a tree once out of that whole trip. And honestly, I, I kind of got a little bit of a bug for that still hunting or just ground hunting and I, I got a shot at a buck I screwed up on my part I didn't make a good shot and I missed him but I still got a shot at a at a deer sit just sitting on the ground I wasn't even set up I was just stopping for a moment while I was still hunting through these pines because a dog ran a couple of deer by me so I sat there to wait for a while and then this buck showed up so you never know what can happen and I kind of like that you know one-on-one -on -one with the deer on the ground yeah, so yeah no. not to say I don't like being in a tree. Sometimes I would much rather be up in a tree for several reasons, but yeah, you know, I do like that ground hunting. See, I, no, I love it. Uh, this is the first year I really started doing it with a bow and had tremendous success. Uh, first day, I went, actually opening day, uh, shot a doe off the ground on some public. Uh, unfortunately, had a, I think it had a deflection from some grass and Anyways, actually hit her in the front of the brisket. She was quartering towards me a little bit and hit her in front of the shoulder, and it passed through, just passed through in front of the opposite shoulder. So I got a lot of blood, just didn't get really much vitals. Um, so we weren't able to find that deer, uh, unfortunately, even with a dog. But I was able to shoot two other deer off the ground um, later on, and it was one of those things that I enjoyed, and this is with a bow, um, just still hunting. And I had, to be honest, I had the most success either – right when it was raining like not complete like thunderstorm but like a light rain or raining um or right after it rained i i've had oh, very yeah. high confidence wet, that's your yeah. best your best time just because you can not make as much noise in the woods yeah exactly and, it's and, dry I mean, and crunchy I, it's it's almost impossible to really speak yep. on a deer when it's dry and crunchy because they can hear and they can swivel their ears around and tell exactly where that sound is coming from and if you crunch on so you crunch on a leaf here and there, they're not going to think much of it, but if you've got to cover some distance to get to where you can actually see a deer, it and it hears you coming for, from a long ways off, it's just not going to work out. You won't even see that deer. It'll get up off the bed most likely before you even see it. Yeah, no, you're right. And you know, that's one good thing about when you're hunting, you know, up here in Tennessee, at least 
you know, where, you know, you and me hunt quite a bit uh, in those areas. There's not a whole bunch of pines, but in any place, especially like down in Alabama or Georgia, where you have a bunch of pines, you can slip through a lot easier as long as it's not a whole bunch of ground cover uh, that really kind of, you know, you got to kind of cut through because then you make more noise. But the pine straw is very, very quiet to walk on for the most part. But yeah, anyways, I love ground hunting, dude, with a bow. Uh, it's something I'm going to do a lot more early season this year. Uh, and I feel like, you know, I have good success with it. But, you know, you kind of hit on this, uh, you know, a couple minutes ago, and I'd like to kind of jump into it is uh, you were down in Alabama about, what was it, about three weeks ago? Two weeks, yeah, three weeks ago with the yeah, hunting about, public? About three weeks ago, give or take. Um, so first of all, give us a little rundown, uh, of, you know, first of all, how'd you like, uh, who you were with, uh, Zach, Ted, and was Jake there? Jake came down on the last day or right for the second last evening or whatever, uh, cause he had other obligations and Logan was there, but he, okay. Logan didn't do any hunting. Uh, Ted was mainly the cameraman. Zach was the only one really hunting. And then Jake came down the door for the last day, but. I had to leave that day, of course. I had to leave that night. So I got to hang out with Jake and, and all them, and they had some pretty cool encounters on that last day after I left. But they had some video issues, some issues with the video getting corrupt, unfortunately. But it was a good time. I learned learned some new area. A lot of it was like Tennessee, especially the river bombs. A lot of it was a little different. We do have those pine woods in Tennessee. I just don't usually hum around those areas. But I'm starting to really get a liking for those yellow pine forests, the planted pines. Yeah, yeah no, that's I, where I, you got the shot at that buck, right? Yeah, and it was, uh, I was on a finger, you know, coming down into a creek bottom. And yep. that oh, finger yeah. was pines, but then going off either end was more thick. It made of, you know, hardwood saplings and other st- other junk like that. So he was, he was crossing from one thicket to another through the pines. He actually did a circle around me, you know, he busted me twice, and that's really what got me tore up and probably part of the reason i missed is because he busted me twice and i was sitting there at full draw and when i shot i just pulled it yeah and what what do you think about those pine thickets because i think that uh i think jacob you mentioned that y'all were talking about it like right after you were up there jonathan and you were saying like you'd never really considered hunting them until you got down to alabama and then you got in there and messed around in it you might might hit him more often now after that encounter with the buck yeah and uh, they're still i mean they're kind of like cedar thickets except not as thick the mature pine um i'm used to hunting cedar thickets which is the same kind of thing deer travel through them a lot and they don't make much noise they like how quiet i think they like how quiet because they can slip through there without making a sound um so it's similar to cedar thickets, but just a different kind of tree. It's a little more open when they get more mature. And and being planted pines, you usually get a lot bigger chunks of pine woods than you would with the cedar thicket. Where I'm used to hunting, you'll get you know cedar thickets of a few acres maybe with this with the 50 acres. So it, it's difficult to pattern. And that's the biggest challenge is just figuring out where they're going to go because a lot of times and figure out where they're somewhere different every day. And what did you think about hunting in Alabama with the hunting public? Did I mean, did y'all, like, what did y'all think about Alabama? Was it, like, hard? Did, was it harder than Tennessee, did you think, or, or what? I would say it was harder than Tennessee just because I wasn't familiar with it. 
and maybe it would still be harder than where I usually hunt just because of the amount of pines and how hard it is to pattern the deer. But I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I think just, you know, going in blind, it was harder. But if, if I think if I hunted there for a while, I might could get good at it. Uh, the the guys from hunting public, they definitely were, it was new. It was definitely new territory to them for deer hunting. Now they had turkey hunted it before, but, but trying to deer hunt it, it took them a few days to really kind of key in on some features like as far as terrain and, and deer sign and stuff. And, and they started to really pull it together at the end, which is, I wish we all could have stayed down there longer because we were just starting to get, you know, keyed in on some deer towards the end of the trip. But I, you could tell it's not like the Midwest where they usually hunt, but they did pretty, they they did pretty dang good considering, you know, going in there, not ever hunting deer in a place like that before. It's a southern deer, a whole different animal, it seems like. Yeah, that dude. Everybody I know was talking about the hunting public coming down here, like curious about how they were going to do. Because Yeah, I, and I won't say, I, let me back up, I won't say the deer are a whole different animal other than being smaller. I'd say they still have a lot of similar, you know, behaviors to whitetail anywhere else in the country. They, it's just the habitat is so different that hunting them is a lot, a lot different, a lot more difficult. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Jacob, you back on? Yep. Yeah. Sorry, I got dropped off earlier, guys. But uh, no, that's fantastic. So you had a good time coming down to Alabama. Uh, it. When, I'm hoping you're going to come down. Are you going to try to come down during turkey season? I'm hoping to. Uh, it opens two weeks, or about roughly two weeks before Tennessee. So I do have to do my, you know, preliminary scouting here in Tennessee, which is just going to be listening for roost gobbles mostly, because uh, I don't need to cover any of the ground I'm familiar with already. So other than that, I think I should be able to make a weekend trip or something down to Alabama just for a day or two, if nothing else, and just give it a shot just because I've got my license. I might as well give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Um, Now, you know, I think a lot of your videos when it comes to your YouTube channel, I know a lot of people love your turkey hunting videos. Um, What is your plan for this year's season. Now, I know last year you had a pretty good year. Uh, you know, going to this year, kind of go over with us a little bit of, you know, kind of what you do in the preseason, getting ready for the season, you know, when it comes to scouting or anything else. I know you said you kind of listen for gobbles, but, uh, I mean, is a lot of these areas. Yeah, I mean, is a lot of these areas pretty much spots you've, you know, you found throughout the years and you kind of like re-hunt them and you just got a lot of birds in those areas or, you know, how does that normally play out? I usually go to a lot of places I've hunted before. And if I do, try a new spot then i just try it out during season i might scout a new spot before season if i find somewhere i want to look into but um when i when i make trips like to fish off of the boat or fish i say i would turkey hunt off the boat and hunt around some of the public land around the lakes um if it's like my first time going hunting off a lake you know i went in blind and just kind of took it from there. And over a couple of years, I started to zero in on a couple of good areas. And you now I just keep going back to those areas. And every time I try to expand a little bit and try out new areas while I'm there. So I, I, I don't see too much of a point in preseason scouting unless you just don't know the property. Say it's say you've only got one property to hunt. You want to go out there and find all the terrain features, find those little ditches that don't show up on, on X or Google Earth. 
and find the fences that don't show up, obviously, because there's little things that a gobbler will get hung up on and little terrain features that can help you set up on a bird. That's the kind of stuff. And you can scout that right now or during deer season or during the summer or whenever. As far as actually scouting for turkeys, I just like to go out early morning into one of those good spots and get on a high spot and listen as the sun starts to come up and see where they're gobbling at and just get an idea of where the birds are hanging out. Mm-hmm. Now, since we're on the subject of turkeys, earlier you mentioned that you carry a wing bone call around your neck. Is a wing bone your uh, call of choice? Yeah, pretty much. I like it. I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's the best call out there. A lot of people don't like the sound of it just because it's not as up close anyways, especially on recording. It doesn't sound nearly as good as a good diaphragm call or a higher end pot call or something like that. But the way it rings out in the woods, the turkeys really tear it up. And I just like, I like calling in a turkey with part of another turkey I killed. I think it's kind of cool. It's kind of a preference thing. So, and I can carry it around my neck and I, I got, I practiced enough to where I got pretty good at it. So I'm confident using it. And that's, that's why I use it really. It's just because I like it. That's cool. Because I'm, I'm always curious about guys who use wing bones because I've never used one and not many guys out there like use one, you know, it's kind of their main call. So I'm always curious of, like how they got into using a wing bone. I'm going to get one one of these days whenever I feel like spending money on one. Start or, figuring or it just, out. Or just kill one. You really don't yourself. have to. I mean, I've got I've got wing bones laying around. I've said I was going to make calls and sell them. I hate making them, to be honest with you. I've got a couple that are made but that I already promised to a couple of friends. So I don't even have any to sell right now. But if, if you kill a bird or something, somebody I know kills a bird and you give me the wing bones, I'll, I'll make you a call. I won't make any promises on how quick I'll make it, but I can make you a call. Um, <laughs> or you can make it yourself. I got a video up on how to do it yourself. It's just kind of tedious cleaning out the inside of the bones and cutting them without breaking them and, you know, gluing them together. And, and it, mm-hmm. it's kind of a little process to it, but, but the end product is pretty cool being able to call in a gobbler, get them all fired up over the wing bone off of another gobbler. Yeah. I, now I've heard about wing bone calls. I've heard that like a wing bone off a hen makes a better call than a wing bone off a gobbler, which I don't have access to hen wing bones because you can't shoot hens any time of year in Alabama. But I know you you could in Tennessee, but I think you, they just said you can't. They right? went to bearded. Yeah, they went to bearded birds only now for fall season. You used to could kill a hen every fall, and before that you could kill up to six hens in certain counties. Good which Lord. is good that they're cutting back to protect the population but anyways we can't kill hens near as easy they got to have a beard now so <laughs> anyways uh well, i've heard that ever since i've made wing bone calls i've heard that about hens being better but i've made a couple with hen wing bones and you've really got to stretch them out cut them as long as possible or they'll be really high pitched i like the gobbler wing bones better myself and the jakes work really well too now, I, I got a question because I'm probably the, the, the greenest turkey hunter in this group right now. Actually, I know I am. Okay, I've never used a wing bone call. I, I think I've only seen one once. Is is it a is it a blowing or a sucking like uh, it's a suction airflow? Call. Okay, yeah, that's okay. That's what I thought. Um, you just gotta now, bite your lips down on it and kind of squawk on it and try to get the high and the low notes and try to separate them out to where you can get that high squeak and that lower 
note and put them together to make like a Yelp. That's I'm not gonna lie, it's kind of cool, especially when you can do it from a bird you killed and you kill other birds with it. So that's pretty awesome. Now I know you did a little bit of fall turkey hunting this year, or should I say late fall? I know you had a couple spots uh, that were open, you know, pretty late in the season. And, yeah, uh, I went once. I, I would have gone more, but you know, deer hunting kind of distracts me that time of year. Yep. Well, one thing that cracks me up with you, which I think it's like it should be like your iconic look, is uh, for a lot of your videos you have aviators on, and this is just like this is what you do. And I, I'm pretty sure on that fall turkey hunt, you had some aviators. I remember you just like sitting underneath the tree after all those hens blew out and everything. And you're just sitting there like talking about like what was going on. You just had your aviators. And I'm like, dude, this dude is legit. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm like, you're just out there just doing your thing, man. It's That's just freaking awesome. Yeah. Oh, um, I've got a few different pair of sunglasses. I like the aviators. They're real comfortable. And they look, I think they look pretty cool. And I, I, get, I get all the cheap sunglasses for wherever wherever i can find polarized as long as they're polarized you know mm-hmm. now one thing i, I like about you yeah well one thing i like about you is you know you do a little bit of everything i mean you don't just hunt you don't just fish i know you've done a little bit of trapping uh, i saw one of your videos where you shot a i think it was a beaver like in this little drainage and uh you know you do a little bit of everything which is kind of cool out of you know hunting and fishing if you could only pick one thing to do for the rest of your life what would it be Hunting and fishing? Yeah, between hunting and fishing, you either had to give up all fishing <laughs> oh, just or all hunting. All hunting or all fishing? Yep. Oh, man. Oh, just shoot me. I, I can't pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that, correct that, answer. Yeah, I was going to say, well, let's, let's kind of <laughs> get to and the, the same. That's the same answer for deer, hunt, deer hunting versus turkey hunting. I really can't pick between those two either. Yep. Oh, hey. I know Andrew. Andrew already told me he'd give up deer hunting because he's a he's a sorry human being. Which I mean, I got nothing against turkey hunters. But I'm man, a sore loser. The sore deer loser. keep beating me. I, and I'm it, just a I would have loser. a I would slightly tend to lean towards turkey hunting over deer hunting, but deer season is so much longer. And I mean, I don't really have to explain it. If you like deer hunting, like yep. it would, I, it's it's too close of a tie. I don't I don't think I could give either up. Yeah. Well, one yeah. thing I want to talk to you about is uh, first off. Unfortunately, again, you're not going to be at the uh, NWTF uh, show convention in a couple weeks because you're going to be down in roughly Savannah, Georgia, correct? Yeah, around the Savannah area on Fort Stewart with the Saddle Hunter guys, and we got a pretty big group of people going this year. It's my second year, second year missing the convention, unfortunately. It's just that's when it always happens, the same weekend. I know he, he. We need to change that, man. I wish he'd do it the, the next week. Need to week call up Greg and be like, Greg, listen. Like, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to work with this, man. We need to be the first <laughs> week of uh, February or the third week of February, not the second week. All right. I think they might they might do it because it's like a holiday weekend, President's Day or something, or Valentine's Day or whatever it is. I think it's the best weekend to get the most people off of work to make the trip. I think that's why they do it, but but uh, don't quote me on that. But I don't know if it's gonna change anytime soon or not. Yeah, well, it, it seems like a pretty good time, you know, old Saddle Palooza. Uh, I think there's like a hundred of you guys going to be down there this this year. It's huge. Um, I think it, it was it, last I looked, it was around seventy people. He said he was going to cap it at a hundred. I'm not sure okay. what, what the final number is. Gosh, man, that's a lot of people. But hey, this going to be a heck of a time. All camping out and just freaking trying to go oh, shoot yeah. some pigs. Uh, so that'd be fantastic. Yeah, now it'll be a good time. Well, you know, another thing I'd like to talk to you about is just fishing, man. Uh, you know, kind of going back to the name Catman, 
you know, catfishing, I know is one of your things that uh, you, you love to do and you do it out on the Cumberland river and a bunch of other bodies of water, but uh, dude, you got to give some stories. I mean, I, I know you guys have a lot of awesome stories you've told me some in the past, but what, what are some of your most memorable, like crazy catfishing stories, especially on the river? Hmm. Good question. Um, well, this one was kind of embarrassing, except I was alone, so nobody was there to laugh at me. But I hooked into something heavy, and I was anchored up right on a current break in the Cumberland River in Nashville, West Nashville. Uh, doesn't matter what part of the Cumberland, there's catfish everywhere. But anyways, I hooked into something that was heavy, and as soon as I would start to gain on it, it would pull back down. And this went on for, I didn't time it, but... I would have to guess it about half an hour, and I, every time I started to get it up closer to the surface, it would just pull back down and strip drag, and I mean, I was stretching my line to the max. I didn't want to break off, but I was I was trying to get that thing, uh, you know, wrestled in, so I thought I finally had broke the 50-pound mark on a big flathead. I was, I was convinced I finally caught the fish I was after, and... Finally, I somehow managed to get it up, and this big, long, huge stick or tree branch came up. And oh. it turns out, yeah, it turns out that because I was anchored on the current beam where the current was swirling, mm-hmm. every time I got it up, the current would take it back down, and then it would sit down on the bottom where I'd be able to reel it up again, and then the current would catch it, and it would pull down, and it felt just like a fish. Oh man, I was gonna say I think that's one of the stories you told me. That's kind of crazy. It's kind of funny, yeah. especially especially if you're working and you're really hyping yourself up. Like, oh my god, I mean, I got a I got a huge fish on the end of this line. Dude, yeah, yeah, luckily, I was alone, so nobody was there to laugh at me. But I have to tell it to somebody because it was. I, I mean, I was I was convinced that's I had a fish. That's the worst, my, my man. Goal, especially when you're with people. Yeah, my goal is is to break the 50-pound mark, like I said, and I haven't yet. I really got back into catfishing only a couple summers ago, so my, my biggest right now is 32. I don't have any real crazy stories yet, but I'll be back at them hard as, as ever, you know, after turkey season this year. I'll be I'll be back out in Cumberland all the time, so I'm looking forward to it. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Yeah, that's something I want to get back into because when I was younger, we would – all the time run trot lines all summer run limb lines and go fish below the dams and like various rivers in alabama and Mm -hmm. my biggest catfish is a like 26 pounds that was a big dang catfish but i want to catch one bigger oh yeah and that's like almost average size in the cumberland not like the cumberland's best river ever any of the major uh catfish rivers like the ohio cumberland tennessee the there's a couple in Virginia I can't remember the name of. There's there's a bunch of major rivers in the southeast that are just chock full of catfish, and the Cumberland's one of them. And a 20-pounder is like a, a good fish any day. It's never anything to complain about, but it's not a big fish by any means. And the locals have shown me pictures, and I've heard all the stories and seen a lot of pictures of all the 60- and 70-pound fish people catch down there, even off the boat ramp sometimes. So I know what's out there, and that's what I'm after. And maybe one of these days I'll hook into one. Now, when you're hunting, I'm going to say hunting for these catfish, these big catfish. But when you're hunting, or you know, or fishing for these big fish, you know, first of all, kind of give us a run through of first of all, kind of a little bit of your boat because I think your boat's legit. Okay, 
especially with the motor you got well, on thanks. there. You, you, you talk about I, freaking I love over. My boat. It's it's a little undersized. I'll upgrade eventually, but it's it, it'll get up and go. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right about that because I've got I've got the almost exact same boat back in Alabama, but I'm running a 10 horsepower motor and you're running a 35. Is that correct? Yeah, that's an older 35. I don't know if it's making the power it once did, but it sure makes plenty of power for that 13 foot V hole. It, it'll get oh. up, it'll jump out of the hole with, with with two passengers. It'll jump out of the hole and get up on plane. That's awesome. But, I mean, kind of give us a little run-through of getting kind of like your boat setup and also some of your gear setup. And what are you using when it comes to bait and tackle for some of these bigger fish, if that's really what you're trying to target on a lot of these days? Well, bait-wise, uh, cut bait or live bait. I mean, I've got – I live on a farm right now that's got about an acre pond that's full of bluegills. So I usually use those just because I can go catch a bucket full of them in no time. But uh, I'd like to get back into skipjack fishing. It's been a few years, but I used to go below the dams and throw jigs or rooster tails or sabiki rigs and, and catch skipjack because they're, they're a lot of fun to catch regardless of whether you use them for bait or not. But those are good catfish bait, cutting the chunks, uh, shad or, or suckers or anything like that. Um, Tackle-wise... I've been using mostly circle hooks because they'll set themselves. A lot of catfish guys use circle hooks. I've got some kale hooks that I use for my limb lines, uh, but they're a thinner wire, so I like to use the circle hooks because they're heavier. And then however much thinker I need to keep it on the bottom because that river can have some current sometimes, so it's got to stay put when I throw it out. So mm -hmm. anywhere from two to five, six, seven ounces, depending on the current. Gosh, and yeah. At least, I prefer at oh, least God. 15 pounds. I got 20 pound and 30 pound on most of my catfish rods. Dude, that's, that's insane. Now That's some serious know, gear right there, man. Yeah. Now, <laughs> one thing one thing you got to touch on, which is I think you have one of the best catfishing spots, period, because I see most a lot of your photos you post, uh, especially when you're doing your, you know, your, your night trips or, you know, late, late afternoon, evening trips, when you're posting a photo from down, you know, right across the freaking river from Broadway. Um, that is pretty cool. Dude, I mean, when you're down there by downtown, especially if they had a live concert or something, dude, you don't, I mean, you couldn't get a better spot to catch a big fish and uh, just listen and shit and hang out, especially early season if there was a uh, football game going on. I mean, you're like right there. Oh, yeah. And, and you, sometimes you hear two, three concerts at the same time, just from different places around the river. Huh. Yeah. Music it's, a different, it's a whole different atmosphere down there, but it's cool. It goes to show that you can catch catfish anywhere in that river. You just got to figure out where they're hanging out, usually on the channel drop-off with some kind of structure, some kind of cover to break the current, and those flatheads will be holed up where the current breaks. Now, are you consistently catching mostly flatheads, or are you ever trying? To, are you ever getting into any kind of like you know blue cats or anything else? I'm fishing for flatheads. I haven't really got into blue cat fishing. I know a lot of people catch them this time of year, like blue cats, the big catfish of the winter time. I haven't got into it yet. I probably will at some point. Uh, I do catch blue cats and channel cats while I'm fishing for flatheads, just because they're out there. But I'm mainly targeting flatheads. Well, awesome. Now, you know, when it comes to anything else, I know you just dropped a video, I think it was like a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago, uh, you and a buddy were uh, fishing some small, small creeks uh, for, you know, bass or really anything you could catch, and you you were catching some real small, um, small mouse, which was pretty awesome. That's the one thing that 
you know, especially coming from Alabama, you know, central, lower Alabama, you know, we don't have smallmouth down there. Now, once you get up in the north part of the state, you can find them in some of the bigger reservoirs and stuff like that. But, man, that looked like a heck of a time, especially just running out there with your action camera and everything else. Uh, that's got to be, a, you know, I, I think it would be a pretty relaxing trip, except when it's, you know, 13 degrees or however how cold it was that day y'all were fishing. Oh, it wasn't that cold. It was 39, I believe. I, my hands get cold easily, and that's one thing that kind of puts me off of fishing in the winter time is how cold it get, how cold my hands get. Cause they'll just my fingers will freeze up quick. But I brought hand warmers and and uh, I came prepared, and it was a good time. We got into a lot of those rock bass, and a lot of people call them red eye. We caught quite a few of those, and, and they're just a good handful of decent smallmouth. And uh, like like I said, or like it says in the video, you know, the main river was up, you know, a good seven, eight feet above the normal flow. So it's like chocolate milk. And then you got these creeks that aren't, that are not chocolate milk that are just backed up from the river. And there's smallmouth and all kinds of bass up in there feeding on the bait fish and stuff that are up in the creek. And that's a great place to catch them when the water comes up. Yeah, I know that's something that uh, Andrew kind of got me into he he loves you know fishing small bodies of water you know he's using ultralight or something and you know going after some bass and it's always fun because we did that probably two or three years ago and uh freaking one of us hooked yeah. into like like a pound and a half two pound fish and man on an ultralight that's the man you talk about having you know feeling like you're the top of the world that was got fun two pound fish that was some ultralight oh yeah that was the first time you've done bigger. it Oh, yeah, especially in a current, man, on an ultralight. That small fish feels real big in a current on an ultralight. And that's the thing with smallmouth is they fight hard even on regular, like, medium tackle. They Smallmouth is, will put a largemouth to shame as far as the fight goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what I've done mostly is uh, we have a kind of a different kind of bass down here in Alabama, where it's uh, it's not the same kind of red eye bass that that you mentioned, like those rock bass. These are yeah. actually like uh, they're called red eye one... bass. Yeah, they're called red eye bass, and it's and literally Kusa? what's that? Like Kusa bass? No, no, it's a one of them's called a Cahaba bass, and that's like the like around the Cahaba River and Buck Creek and its tributaries. Or Cahaba wow. bass, and then throughout the rest of Alabama, you have a different kind of bass that's just called a red eye bass and it's basically like like a it it hardly ever gets like over a pound pound and a half most of them you mm -hmm. catch are like half a pound and it's got like a red eye and a blue belly and other than that it just looks like a bass you know like a regular like yeah but they're uh, not rock bass but they're pretty cool that might be uh that might be what i'm thinking of kusa because i've heard the kusa called red eye and i don't really don't know much about them so i could be wrong but we have just a few of those in Tennessee, I believe, but I don't know if I've ever caught one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll go out and catch them. I'll catch, like, a limit of them, and they're so small, man. You just scale them, cut the head off, and, like, fry them whole. The tail's like a chip. That's how rock bass are. They they don't, they rarely get over 10 inches of rock bass, but they're like bluegills. You just catch a stringer of them if you get into them good, and they're really good eating. Yeah. We should have kept those. When we yep. went and caught all those, we should have we should have been stringing those up. Well, if Andrew yeah. was there, I promise you he would, man. This guy over here, he's like a, it's like one of those old, old um, cartoon cats, man. He every fish he gets his hand on, he's eating that sucker. Freaking oh yeah, I'm a fish killer. Man, he just people yeah, get that. people get mad at me, man. Like one time, I caught like a five pound uh, largemouth, and I brought that sucker home and ate it. 
and I like <laughs> told people about it. Man, people get mad at you for eating a big largemouth yeah, bass. Yeah, and people do the same thing about smallmouth because smallmouth is like a sacred fish. Yeah, they in the creeks they don't grow very fast, so you definitely want to use moderation and don't keep too many of them, especially creek smallmouth because they're slow growing. But yeah, you take a couple here and there, and I mean, you got bag limits and length limits or whatever. You got rules to follow. It's, as long as you're within the law and you're not taking too many out of one body of water, they're put there for us to eat. Just take them home and fry them up, and don't listen to what anyone says. That's that's the way I see it. Yeah, go enjoy them. It's called conservation. Mouth, I will say I'm not a big fan of largemouth. I don't really like the way they taste as much, but smallmouth is one of my favorite freshwater fish to eat. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll I've say Andrew, smallmouth. Yeah, Andrew will destroy some largemouth. Guys, right now, any of our listeners, Andrew is not that the tournament fisher fishing type. This dude no. straight up goes out there, and if he catches it, it is going in a frying pan. I, so, I release him back into Lake Crisco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I release mine into Lake Peanut Oil. Things like Crisco. Yes, sir. Oh man, yeah, dude, that would be hilarious, Andrew. If we did a, if I actually like, I've got that bass boat back home. We actually did a bass tournament. I don't know how well you do with that. I don't know if you could handle it, man, because you can't. If you, you put me, if you put me on Lake Gunnersville with the nicest tackle money can buy, I probably won't catch a fish. But you put me in like a creek with an ultralight. And I'll, I'll I'll tear them up any day of the week, I'm definitely like a fluke or something. The, I, I'm the same way. I'm more of a creek fisherman. I I mean, I've got a boat. I'll fish on the lakes and whatnot, but I'm more familiar with the creek fishing. I can catch a creek bass, I think, a lot better than a lake bass. Well, they're, they're, they're less, they're less quote-unquote, pressured, and they're aggressive, man. Creek fish got to be mean to live. I mean, those, yeah, those suckers right there. Are. Yeah, and I you're mean, not fishing are. 20 feet deep trying to find them on a sonar. You're just casting to a little eddy or a pocket where you know there's going to be a bass sitting in there. Oh, yeah, they're stacked up in those holes, man. <laughs> like, you'll sit there and catch, like, six bass out of one hole in, like, a little creek. Yeah, I remember taking Jacob, man. It blew his mind. He could not believe it when we Dude, started we ca- pulling bass out of there. We tore Dude, him we up s- that day. We, we caught, I don't know how, we caught a ton of fish, dude. And, yeah, I was taking ultralight. And we were fishing. This is the first time I ever really creep fished since I was like itty bitty, dude. And man, we I caught. I, listen, those fish were so aggressive. And you were we were catching much of like you know you know half pound, you know you know close to you know close to a pound fish. But I caught one. I threw in, I threw in the eddies and it was really back through the eddies. I was just using like a little um, like a beetle spin, uh, or really it's a it's a uh, beetle spin spins jig. are good in the creeks. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, I had this bass, this little tiny, I mean, this fingerling bass hit my bait. I hooked it. I, get, I brought it up. That thing could not have been more than three and a half, four inches long. If and Probably not, like three and a half inches long. It is itty bitty. I was like, man, this is like anchovy right here, man. Just put that on a pizza. It'd be good to go. But, uh, it's just a creek fish are. You ever catch those green sunfish? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, they're yep. they're uh, way too aggressive for their size. I've caught green sunfish that was barely bigger than the fluke i caught it on yep oh yeah yep and that that's that's what i'll use in a creek if i'm trying to catch like a slightly bigger bass at least is a fluke and then you'll throw like that's what the smallmouth tear up a weightless fluke you twitch it so it goes back oh yeah oh yeah man that's my favorite bait in the whole world smallmouth will tear that up dude we gotta do a fishing trip this spring i've been wanting to go down uh i don't know uh jonathan if you've been down to uh, the Collins River um, down oh, by, I guess. Okay, well, th- you can fish for muskie. They actually have muskie in Tennessee. I don't know if you know that. Actually, 
it's funny you mention that because that was one of the places I was considering going tomorrow. Now I might not. Holy crap! No, do it, dude. Nope, do it tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. (laughs) Take you some heavy tackle and the biggest freaking spinner bait or whatever you've got, dude. Listen, I want to go down there so bad. I've got some that are seven inches long. I've got stuff. Oh, that that ain't big enough. That dude, that ain't big enough. You need to go on YouTube right now, guys. Okay, anybody that's listening right now. Y'all need to go on YouTube and look up musky fishing in Tennessee. It will blow your freaking minds, okay? They have the, like, world champion, world championship musky fly fishing tournament on the Collins River, like, every, it's like in November, I think. Dude, they catch, like, 45-inch musky, 50-inch musky down there. It is ridiculous. Like, I want to do that so bad. It's a float trip. I mean, you you can't really get a motorboat in there, I don't think. It's pretty much a... You know, it's a, it's a small, small risk. Jet boat. The guy I was yeah. talking to uh, the other day said he, he'll run the flow gets low enough, you can take a canoe or a kayak in there. Yeah. Well, I I would love to do that. I mean, these guys, you know, they're fishing with big spinner baits, um, all big top waters, big subsurface spook looking bait. I mean, huge baits, dude. I mean, yeah. stuff you'd be throwing. Dude, I talked yeah, I mean, uh, talk to said, even a fluke would work. He, he said stuff like flukes would work. And I, like I said, I got some jerk, some hard jerk baits that are, I mean, they're seven inch red pins. Dude, That's the do it. thing I've got. Take, take the boat, go do it. And then when you catch one, we need to plan a trip because I want to come up there so bad and do that trip, dude. That would be just absolutely epic. And I, I was, I've looked at, I've done some research on it and, you know, done, looked at some, uh, some little reports that some guides that, you know, got up there were talking about. And they said definitely the best times to fish up there, really, it'd be down there, is uh, springtime all the way up until about May. And then the summertime, you can catch them, but it's pretty harsh just because of how warm the water is. They're not as aggressive. Yeah. Then, then in the I'm fall time. I'm going to go after them in the summer. Yeah, yeah. But, um, oh, my God, dude. I'm catfishing in the summer. Yeah. Ca- and yeah, yep. I'd like to. I've been, I've been saying I'm going to go, and I was considering this weekend. I'd have to get up pretty early in the morning, you know. This would be kind of a last-minute thing if I do go there tomorrow, but I'm going fishing tomorrow regardless. But, yeah, the, the Collins River's on the list. I would really like to at least try to get into a muskie. Let me see how far the, how far that river is from me right now. About uh-huh. an hour and a half. No, no, from me, because I'm, I'm down oh, here in Atlanta. Uh, yeah. Oh, hold on, hold on. A little bit oh, longer. Yeah. I was going to say, Andrew, y'all talk for a second. I'm going to do a little research real quick. I'll, I'll get back to you guys in just a second. Well, we're coming up on an hour here, so... I was figuring we would close it out pretty soon, and my closing question, kind of staying on the fishing topic, is you know we've been we've been talking about catfish. Your name on YouTube is Catman, so let me ask you if you know anything about like the rumor of people talking about below or above the dams, like in lakes. There's like these supposed like monster, humongous Volkswagen sized catfish, you know that we we've all heard about as kids. What do you what do you oh, think yeah. about that, man? Do you think that there's actually those giant fish down there? Until I see one get pulled out of the water, I'm skeptical because if they're down there and there's people who like to dive and people who like to fish, somebody's got to drag one out of there, alive or dead. Yep. And yep. so I'm not doubting there's some really big catfish down there, but, I mean, that's just one of those stories that's been going around for a long time, almost like Bigfoot, where I kind of got to see it to believe it. 
Oh man, well, that's that's where Bigfoot's at, man. He's got a he's got a scooby tank and everything down there, he's hanging out with the catfish. Yeah, and the Black Panthers that everyone sees. <laughs> yeah, they're man, down I'm there too. I'm telling you. <laughs> Ooh, man, we gotta do a trip. There you go. No, uh, we'll catch us a Black of, Panther. A whole bunch of those those uh, urban legends out there, and I mean, I'm not saying they're all false, but I'd I'd like to see, you know, as many stories as you hear. I'd like to see something come out of one of them. Before I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. You got a, you got a like concluded question, Jacob? Concluders. Really? Let me think. Um, I mean, one concluding thought is I'm just, I want to go freaking musky fishing real bad on the Collins river. That's all. I mean, that that's high <laughs> on the list, dude. I'm serious, dude. I want to catch one so bad. Like God, they're, they're just, they're huge. They're freaking massive. And I found out from watching some videos, you better keep your hands away from the face the mouth, because if they nip, if they like, if you stick your thumb on a tooth, you'll be bleeding for a long time. But um, I mean, that's like gar, gar is full of Exactly. Teeth, you know, grab them by the mouth. Yeah, <laughs> don't lip it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I can't say um, I've ever lipped a gar. I've been cut by their tails, though. I mean, they're they're sharp all the way, all the way across. Yeah. I know how that is. Um, but I've never caught a muskie. I've never caught a gar the size of a big muskie either. So it'd be yeah. a whole new deal for me. Yeah, oh, I've only right. I've caught a four foot guard, but it was on a trot line. Yeah, doesn't yeah, count. What a man, <laughs> man! Like, see, Jonathan, you're you're fishing like you know a lot of people say catfishing. Here's a concluding thought for you. You know, a lot of people say catfishing is the lazy man's you know game or whatever. But to be honest, as much effort and time you kind of put into it, it's not. I mean, you can't be lazy in doing that crap. Uh, you know, taking a boat out there, you, you know, you're looking for good spots and you're really working it for long periods of time, dude. Uh, it takes a lot more effort than a lot of people, you know, would you know think, especially when you're trying to catch I mean, some bigger fish. Yeah, there's the whole level of you know you got to have certain knowledge of where the fish like to hang out, and then you've got to go drive around and find those spots and set up on them. You got to catch bait and rig up all your lines. I mean, yeah, there's work that goes into it. Definitely not the most intense fishing. I mean, you're sitting there you're relaxing and waiting for a bite and that's kind of what i really like about it you can crack open a cold one and listen to some music on your bluetooth speaker and just watch your rod tips and as the sun goes down that's really hard to beat sometimes and it's, oh, yeah. i don't like to always be just going after fish like constantly i mean i love bass fishing and sight casting for stuff too i mean i like all kinds of fishing so i'm it's just one of those things where if I just want to go out and relax and have a good time and maybe catch a monster that could eat all those other fish, then, yeah, then that's why I like catfishing. Well, I've got, this is my concluder, like, official concluder. I want you to tell us a story about your most recent camera accident in the Cumberland River. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah nothing too uh, <laughs> impressive here. Um, but my last camera was, like, the model below the one I've got now is a Panasonic. Uh, let's see if I get this right. It's a WXF 991, I think, was the camera I had. Real nice, real nice consumer camera. Like, I guess they call it prosumer. It's almost professional grade. Good camera. I had it protected under this uh, drops and spills protection plan. So if I broke it or submerged it or whatever, I could send it in and get it fixed. Or, or get a new one. So I had it on a tripod in the front of my boat and a barge is coming down and I'm anchored up. 
and the bar's just kind of getting a little closer than usual. And I didn't think much of it. You know, he's just going to pass by. Well, he blew his horn at me. So I thought, eh, maybe I need to move. So I started pulling my anchor up. And by that time, the bar's just starting to pass me. And because of the turn in the river, he's actually getting farther away from me as he passes. So I'm like, nah, I'll just sit. I'll just stay anchored here. He's not going not gonna to be an issue. So I dropped my anchor back down. Didn't notice the anchor line wrap around my tripod. So I just sit back down and oh. get settled in my seat. And then I heard a big clunk and a splash. And I was like, what was that? I'm looking around and I look on the front of my boat and I realized it hit me. There was no tripod or camera sitting up there. Oh. And so oh. that anchor line just pulled it down into 26 feet of water with current, <laughs> you know, no chance of diving after it. And it was nighttime. So. That was kind of a not a good feeling, but I figured, well, I got it covered. So I went to file a claim, and I'm going online filling out their questions and everything to file the claim, and and it gets to the it gets to the end, and it says, "Sorry, we can't do this claim. That that it doesn't cover equipment that's lost or stolen. So I lost it. So I was out of that one." Dang, that sucks. Uh, yeah. Luckily, the microphone was not hooked up to it, so I didn't lose my mic. But I lost my tripod and my camera, so that one kind of hurt. That's that's generally my luck though with uh, filming, because I'm taking it outdoors. You know, taking it everywhere I go. If I don't keep every, if I don't keep my attention on it, keep an eye on it at all times, something's bound to happen to it. Yeah, it's only a matter of time before I do something like that. I fell in a yeah, creek I'm not, this I'm not year. Gonna say, I'm not going to try to jinx you or anything, but I say, you know, just keep an eye on your camera. Anything can happen. Get that protection plan. Yeah. I, I've yeah. dropped I've dropped mine probably seven times to this day. Never from super high, but you know, head height. I'd be walking around yeah. scouting and have it on my tripod. I got a really cheap tripod from for freaking my camera, and I've got to get a new one. But it would come off the tripod, like the uh, the lever. The retention lever on the uh, the head would loosen up, and anyways, I, I had my camera fall multiple times, and I guess you know it, it's hard enough. It's okay up to this point, but uh, I hope it makes me. I hope it lasts longer than a year because I've only had it for about six months so far. But uh, yeah. awesome. Well, uh, Andrew, you can conclude her. And then we're gonna wrap no, up man. with uh, Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan, just thank you, man, for coming on. It was awesome talking to you and uh, getting familiar with you and everything. I know that you and Jacob have scouted, but me and you haven't had a chance to get out and do anything. But we'll have to uh, turkey yeah. hunt or go fishing soon, something like that. Hopefully, yeah, you say the word. I'm, as long as I got free time, I'm down. Well, man, we appreciate it. Definitely, we're going to have to uh, do something this spring, especially since you're missing out on NWTF. But uh, once again, brother, yeah, thanks again. Awesome. I know, rub it in. <laughs> well hey hey one other thing before we wrap it up uh where can people find out more about you and catman outdoors i would say youtube and instagram i'm most frequent on i've got a facebook page i'll post occasionally if you really want to see the most updates go to instagram and then obviously my youtube channel is where my my good videos get uploaded uh i also have a website but I haven't really put much into it yet, but that's a work in progress. And I'm looking at putting some some content into that. So that'll be something to keep an eye out for. But yeah, YouTube and Instagram if you wanna 
looking it's uh catman529 on instagram and then catman outdoors on youtube all right perfect awesome well again guys uh, make sure you check out jonathan old catman outdoors if you are ready not uh, one of his subscribers make sure you become one he's a great guy has great content really fun to watch his videos and watch what he's got going on and uh, always super entertaining and you learn some stuff from him too uh, one of his most popular videos that I've ever saw before I actually met him, and I didn't even know it was you until we talked about it, was you catching those um, night crawlers using black walnuts. Uh, oh, yeah. So we'll, we'll kind of leave it at that. But, guys, go check out that video. It's got like three or four million views the last time I checked, I think. So awesome, Jonathan. Well, man, once again, we appreciate it, guys. Uh, make sure I appreciate uh, you all having the list- me. Yeah, not a problem. Make sure all your listeners uh, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're not already. Uh, also, make sure you leave us a review, guys. If you love this podcast and love this uh, episode, let us know. Uh, hopefully, again, we can have Jonathan back on, especially during the strut report. going to have him back on and give us some reports from Tennessee. But uh, once again, guys, uh, thanks for tuning in for this week, and uh, have a great rest of your week. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.